Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and I've got a great show for you today. I hope you're ready for it. I'm going to bring on Pastor Brent Kuhlman in just a minute. And then after Brent, I'm going to talk to David E. Garland. He's written a commentary on Romans. So we're going to do a lot of Bible study this hour, which I'm looking forward to. Brent Kuhlman is the senior pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Murdoch, Nebraska, where it's a lovely 64 degrees and sunny today. And I always like having Brent on. Brent, welcome. Hi, Bill. It's it's always good to be with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, thank you. I'm thinking I could sing It's Beginning to Look a Lot Like Christmas based on the text we're going to talk about today. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Christmas in uh, October, I guess. <laughs> yeah, but we're going to look at uh, chapter 1 of the book of Luke, starting around in uh, verse 26. Right, and boy, Luke just, he unloads with a lot of stuff just in two verses. Um but the the whole context. Oh, you want to read the whole the whole all those verses, or should we just unpack some of the meaning from Let, them? What do you want to do? Let's unpack the meaning as we go. Well, let's okay. Let's skip ahead to uh, verse thirty five, okay. so that we don't forget to talk about this, so that we have time. You know, Mary asks, "I'm a virgin. How am I going to have have the baby? You know, because I'm a virgin." Mm-hmm. And verse thirty five, Gabriel says to her, "You know, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you." And therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, Christians all over the world, bar none, they all confess this biblical truth. And what is it? That Jesus was conceived, not by Joseph, but by the Holy Spirit, right? Mm -hmm. All right. Now, what pastors have to unpack from this text is just exactly how the Holy Spirit did it. (laughs) So... Did the Holy Spirit just snap his fingers, and then Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit in Mary's womb? No. And when I ask this question, whether it's in a Bible class with just normal members of my congregation, or if it's adults who are being catechized to join the church, or uh, adults who are going to be baptized, etc., when I ask the question, well, how, did, how was Jesus conceived by the Holy Spirit in Mary's belly? And they're silent. They don't know how, what to say. So here's the answer, folks. Get a load of this. This is your your jaw's going to drop to the floor, <laughs> but hang on tight. Here All it right. goes. When Gabriel preaches the sermon into Mary's ears, that is when Jesus is conceived by the Holy Spirit. That is to say, the Holy Spirit and the Word of God preached are hooked together always in the Scripture. And let's not forget that angels usually, but not always. But usually are, they're sent to preach God's Word, like at the empty tomb, for example, or at our Lord's Ascension, you know? Mm-hmm. And so also here in Luke 1. So I'm going to—so just to be provocative, okay. that when, when, when the Word is poked into Mary's ears by the mouth of the angel Gabriel, that's how Mary gets pregnant. Wow. That's how the Holy Spirit works. It's through the Word preached into her ears. Okay. So I wanted to make sure we got that. Yeah, and I before have, we move on to anything else. I'm kind of stuck right there, Brent, uh, because I have not thought about that this way, and I've read that a million times. And I I did think uh, of 
it seems like there's a picture of the, the Trinity there in verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And Jesus is taking a residence in Mary's uh, womb. Correct. So the power of the Word and the Holy Spirit always hooked with the Word. And let's not forget that Jesus in John's Gospel always says, that, you know, the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father. So, yeah, you get the whole Trinity involved in all of this. So, Brent, as, as, as Gabriel is saying this, she is getting that moment happening right there. Exactly. Okay. So, so the very moment the sermon is preached, okay. that's when Jesus is conceived by the Holy Spirit. Okay. So I, I wanted to make sure we got that said right off the bat, because that, for me, that, that is so lovely and delicious. Yeah. And we miss it. It's so easy. Well, I can't remember a time that's ever been talked about. <laughs> so this, this is why we always study the Scriptures all the more. And what's interesting, too, since we're talking about Holy Spirit, the more we study the Scriptures, the more we meditate on them, the more the Holy Spirit then opens our minds and our hearts. It's like a Luke 24 moment. You know, the, Jesus in Luke 24 does it with the Emmaus disciples. But when we, the more we study the Word of God, the more it just unpacks. Mm-hmm. And this is one example, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah, and of course, Brent, I didn't know when it was going to happen. All I knew, it was going to happen. And that was good enough for me. I'm glad we had this conversation real quickly then. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right, now, so having said all that, the power of the Word of God, let's, let's just remind everybody about that again. So when the Word of God is preached, the Holy Spirit conceives Jesus and Mary's. So again... The, the power of God's Word is huge, like in the beginning. How did God create the, everything in the beginning? He just spoke. Read Genesis 1 very carefully. God said, let there be light. Then you read all the continuing, continuing verses in Genesis 1. It's, and God said, and God said, and God said. So when God speaks, it happens. Mm. And so here in Luke 1. Now, before we get any further, so that I don't forget this, um, there's just so much stuff I want to say. So let's, let's go to the end of this, because, you know, Mary's a virgin. Um, she hasn't been with Joseph. They haven't had their money. They haven't had the wedding, and they haven't had the honeymoon. And yet she now is pregnant because the sermon's preached. Now, if she, would listen, if she was a modern 21st century woman or a teenager, she would, pardon my way of talking about it, Bill, but if she listened to the science, she all knows, she knows, as well as everybody else, that virgins don't get pregnant. Mm-hmm. But so Mary, what does she say to all of this? You know, not only will, is she now pregnant, but this baby that she bears is going to be the Savior of the world, the Son of God, the text says. The Son of God. Wow. And he's going to be the Savior. And how does Mary react to this? Not according to how she feels, not according to everything that she's experienced in life, not what she's been taught all of her life, but she says, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. This is verse 38. Let it be to me according to your word. In other words, she gives her amen to the sermon. Oh, wow. (laughs) So, you know, you've got all these Christians all over in America. When the preacher preaches, they're given their amens because they believe the word being preached. That's Mm -hmm. Mary here. But I want to emphasize how much of an example Mary is to all of us. Because she trusts the Word of God that has been preached to her, and it goes against everything that she's experienced, everything that she knows, and everything that she feels. She will trust the Word of God. And this is very important for another reason, because, you know, when you go to a funeral, I'm going to speak in general here, they usually have an open casket here in Nebraska before the service, and all people see is the corpse. 
and all for the funeral. Once the, once the coffin's closed, we know the, the dead body's in the coffin. And yet, what's the sermon that's preached at a Christian funeral? Well, for example, Jesus in John's Gospel, in John 11, you know, you believe in me even though you die, yet you shall live. In fact, you live now, you know. And that word of God goes against everything that we see at a funeral, everything that we feel, and everything that we know. But we trust that word of God. Mm-hmm. Let me give you another example. You and I are sinners, just like everybody else, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yet Jesus died for us. And so the sermon that gets preached, you know, the gospel sermon that gets preached is this. Your sins are forgiven. God doesn't hold your sins against you, like Psalm 32, and Paul quotes that in Romans 4. And... Uh, we say, wait a minute, but I still feel my sin. I still sin every day. And so the word of God that says Jesus died for your sin and you're forgiven and God doesn't hold it against you and you are saved because you believe in Jesus. We trust that word of God despite what we see in our lives, despite what we feel, and despite everything we know about our lives. Mary's a great example to teach us to trust the word of God always. Yeah, I love that. That is so good. I have not thought of this, Brent, and this is rattling me a little in a good way. Good. It does me, too. Yeah. The, the, the text always does this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Um, may your word to me be fulfilled. What an what a incredible statement of faith. Right. Great example to all of us. So yeah. when, the, when the pastor says, Jesus died for you and you're forgiven, you say, Amen. Let it be to me just as you said, Pastor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, notice it's the sixth month, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel goes to Nazareth to Mary, okay? Mm-hmm. Let's, let's talk about that just briefly before we break. In the sixth month. Whose sixth month? That's Elizabeth's sixth month. Mm-hmm. You remember Elizabeth? Yes. Yeah, she could never get pregnant. Now she's a senior citizen. She's probably uh, got a walker or a wheelchair, you know? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And she's never been able to get pregnant. And you remember that story? Gabriel preached to Zechariah, her husband, and said, you know what, she's going to have a baby, and this baby is going to be John the Baptist. In fulfillment, of course, I'm I'm adding all kinds of scripture to all of this, but in fulfillment of Malachi 4, he will be the messenger, the Elijah, who is to come. And so this is Elizabeth's six months, and we think that Elizabeth is Mary's cousin, okay? And let's not forget what the angel said based upon what we just talked about. It's verse uh, 37. Gabriel says, nothing will be impossible with God. Well, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they learned that too, didn't they? No, they sure did. <laughs> I can't help myself. Do you remember Zechariah? <laughs> he could hardly believe it. He was kind of like Sarah in the Old Testament when, when uh, she was told. Um, that she was going to have a baby, and she laughed, you know? Yeah. So Zechariah, he can hardly believe it either, and, and the Gabriel said, now look here, I'm paraphrasing, I'm Gabriel, I've been sent by God to preach the Word of God to you, you need to believe this, now you're, going to, you're not going to be able to talk until this baby's born. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Brent, this is one of those verses where I would love to hear the tone of Gabriel, because when he comes out with, I am Gabriel. I think you don't know where I just came from. Exactly. Yeah. And this, this also, t- you know, uh, usually when people see angels in the Bible, they're really afraid because mm-hmm. they must be mighty, mighty yeah. creatures. You yeah. know, they're not the little uh, cherub, uh, red-cheeked things that you can buy in the Hallmark stores. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right, let me take oh. a break. We'll come back. Lots more with Pastor Brent Kuhlman. We are talking about uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. 
which has got a little flavor of the holiday season that's ahead. But uh, we'll be right back. We would love for you to share your story about why you love Faith Radio and what has Faith Radio changed the way you think about something or even how you live. We want to hear from you. Your story can encourage others and glorify God. Share what you love about Faith Radio by calling 877-933-2484 and leaving a message today. Welcome back to the show. Pastor Brent Kuhlman is my guest. He's at Trinity Lutheran Church in Murdoch, Nebraska. And Brent, you're, you've got a, a podcast, don't you? A sermons and table talk radio show? Oh, yeah. I used to do a table talk radio show, but we don't do it anymore. But okay. I, I post my sermons and post my Sunday morning Bible classes online, yeah. Nice, nice. Let's jump back into uh, Luke chapter 1 as we talk about this story. Uh, we last left off at uh, six months of Eliz- Elizabeth's pregnancy. And God has now sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. And Mary hears a couple of times, more than once, you are highly favored. Do you think that she ever had that conversation with Joseph? You're never going to believe what Gabriel said to me, that I was highly favored. <laughs> and and that I'm pregnant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, yeah, it, it, highly favored, of course, is another way of talking about God's grace, that God is very gracious to her. Um, if we get a chance, let's come back to that. You know, what what, what do you think Joseph thought about this? But sure. let's let's push the Mary thing. Um, you know, why does why does Luke record this? Well, there's a reason because Mary stands at the end of a long, uh, how shall I say this? A long line, a long promise line. Let's say it that way. That began with guess who? Eve. In the beginning, Genesis three. And God's words to the devil in Genesis 3, Genesis 3.15, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. And the promise continued that, you know, the Savior that's going to come from Eve's line will crush your head, Satan. Mm -hmm. So Mary is Eve's historical counterpoint, if you will, or the bookends of motherhood in the Bible, because Eve... If we all know from Genesis, I think it's formed in this off the top of my head, but I think in Genesis 4, Eve is the mother of all the living. Adam calls her that, because she's the mother of all the living. But Mary, this is the book in part, Mary is the mother of the one who is life, the Savior Jesus Christ. And continuing with this uh, book ending, if you will, Eve, you remember, listened uh, to the deceiving and tempting word of the devil, and she was deceived, Right. But Mary, here in Luke 1, as we talked about before the break, Mary, what did she do? She heard the Word of God through the Archangel Gabriel, and she conceived. Eve's deception set the stage for what? Well, for humanity's fall into sin. But Mary's conception, I'm bookending it again, Mary's conception brings humanity's salvation. Now, whereas Eve conceived and bore a sinner, remember his name? Cain, mm-hmm. <laughs> the murderer of his brother Abel. So now Mary conceives, and she bears the Lord, the Savior of his 
brothers, that would be all of us, because we're all brothers in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ. Mm-hmm. So that's why Luke records this. And, you know, why is, why is the virginity such a big deal? Let's talk about that just briefly, shall we? Yeah. Um, because when I teach this story to the kids, you know, the fifth and sixth and seventh and eighth graders, even the high school kids, they think that this virginity bit, Kuhlman's pushing Mary's virginity uh, in this way, that, oh, Mary was such a good girl, wasn't she? And, of course, she waited for her wedding night. Well, it's more than just uh, Mary being pure or Mary being chaste. Her virginity is pushed here, I would contend, Bill, more to identify who Jesus is, namely his identity is. So, for example, everybody knows who your mother is, and ordinarily there's a what? There's a father lurking about somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. Mary knows this. And Joseph did as well, you know, because, you know, when he finds out that she's pregnant, he's going to divorce her quietly and, you know, okay. Because Joseph knew that virgins didn't conceive. Um, so it takes the word of God through, Arche- through the Archangel Gabriel's sermon to tell Joseph that the Holy Spirit is responsible for this. So here's my point. Pushing the virginity of, of Mary is to push the identity of Jesus, namely that he is the sinless Son of God, as Gabriel teaches. Because one of the lies that continues to be spoken today is that this Jesus, you know, if you watch National Geographic or Smithsonian or the History Channel about, you know, the birth of Jesus and who is Jesus, they'll just say that Joseph was really his father, or a Roman soldier was his father. But that's not true. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit to the Virgin Mary, and therefore he is the sinless Son of God. He doesn't have Adam's original sin, and Jesus never sinned. You understand my mm, point here? Uh, this completely. Is the Savior. Yeah. So this is huge. Mm, it is. Now let's have some more fun with this. All right. Okay. <laughs> it's Friday. Let's have some fun on Friday. <laughs> you know, I'm going to speak in general to make my point. We Christians, we don't want to be inconvenienced with anything. And that can be in our regular lives or even in our spiritual lives. We don't want to be inconvenienced in any way by anybody, and even by the Lord. Now let's learn differently from Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph had these wedding plans. And to use the language of our day, you know, they had the, uh, the church booked. They had the venue booked for the reception. They had the DJ booked. They'd spent a lot of money, you know, with dresses and uh, uh, suits to wear and all this kind of stuff. I'm using the language of today. So they had all these plans. They, they were planning a life together. And what did God do? He interrupted their lives. And what did both of them do? They let the Lord interrupt, and they took care of Jesus, and they raised him. Wow. Everything was put on hold. Now, I, I say that because I, I doubt, I'm speaking in general to make my point, I doubt that many Christians, including me, if I was Mary, or if you know, if I was uh, engaged to Mary, and I was Joseph, I don't think I would have put my plans on hold. My point is, is that Mary and Joseph, the, the Bible doesn't say, did they ever have a honeymoon? Huh? Mm, doesn't say. And you remember in Matthew's account that Joseph did not know her until after Jesus was born, so he purposely held off in having physical intimacy with her until then. Mm-hmm. Okay. So here's my, my major point was, let's learn another big thing here. Living by faith, like Mary and Joseph here, 
is that when God interrupts our lives and says, for example, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. <laughs> In other words, go to church. <laughs> mm-hmm. we, we, we say amen, and we go and hear the Word of God. Now, as a Lutheran, from a Lutheran point of view, another thing's really important. When Jesus interrupts our lives and says, take and eat and take and drink. In other words, go to the Lord's Supper. We, we Like Mary and Joseph, they'd have said, okay. They wouldn't have said, yeah, but... No, they would have just gone. So let's learn from those folks. You know, here's another interesting thing about this. You know, in, in the New Testament, we hear Mary speak a few times, don't we? Mm-hmm. But we never hear Joseph speak yeah. ever in the Bible, do we? We get nothing from him. I, now, what do we make of this? I'll throw this out for us to consider. Let's, let's just watch what he does. <laughs> and I was hinting at that earlier with my remarks. So even though we, we, do, we have no, rec- no words recorded in the New Testament from Joseph, the guardian of the Lord Jesus Christ, let's learn about him from what he did. He listened to the angel who spoke to him in a dream and said, no, you go ahead, you, you, you marry this woman named Mary, and you take care of this child named Jesus who's the Savior. And he did it, and he raised him, and he took care of him. Okay? The last we hear of Joseph in the New Testament, if my memory serves me correctly, is you know, when Jesus is 12 years old and Mary and Joseph lose him, and then they find him in the temple. But after that, we don't, we don't uh, hear of Joseph anymore. Yeah, it's, I, I wonder, given some of the hardships they went through, if Joseph didn't scratch his head at, at times and go, I thought she had favor with the Lord. And if she had favor, I think things might be easier for us. Uh, yeah, it's, it's usually not that way in, in the Christian life. I agree. You know, this, this whole American pop Christianity stuff, that if you're a Christian and you have God's favor, for Christ's sake, everything will go well, that's usually not the case. Remember when they brought the, the 40-day-old Jesus to the temple, mm-hmm. okay, and Simeon took Jesus in his arms, the 40-day-old baby yep. in his arms. And you remember what he said to Mary? He, mm-hmm. he looked right at Mary and said, this baby, I'm paraphrasing, this baby will be the cause of the rise and the fall of many in Israel, and a sword will pierce your heart. Wow. Okay. So my point, my general point is, is that Mary and Joseph learned how to bear the cross, if you will. You know, Jesus says, if you're going to be my follower, you've got to take up your cross, right? Mm-hmm. Mary and Joseph learned that. And so do we as American Christians. My point is, is that Mary and Joseph learned through trouble, through trials and tribulations, to trust the Lord even more. Or as Paul says in Romans, you know, that it produces uh, endurance and character and hope. And hope doesn't disappoint, right? Mm-hmm. And Brent, we just have 50 seconds left, so I'll, I'll leave us with verse 37. For no word from God will ever fail. <laughs> Don't you love that? Yep, that's right, and that's true. And the Lord always wants us to hear that and trust it. Yeah. So again, when, when the preacher tells you, Jesus died for you, the sinner, you trust that word, regardless of how you feel about yourself mm-hmm. or see yourself, you are redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ, and he wants you to trust that with all your heart. Amen. Thank- we, and- yeah, that was great, Brent. Thanks for doing church with me today. You're welcome, Bill. Peace be with you. Peace be with you, brother. Pastor Brent Kuhlman has been my guest. We'll take a break. We'll come back. David E. Garland is my guest. We're going to talk about the Book of Romans.
It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time, let's get it started. Jump in your car, what's for dinner? It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. So I have in my hands a Tyndale New Testament commentary on the book of Romans by Dr. David Garland. And as I was starting to prep for this uh, discussion with David today, I started reading it and I realized, oh my, this this is like a f- flourless chocolate cake. You want to take a bite and then just savor it. And you want to take, take a sip of strong coffee, and then you want to go back and take another bite. And I want to just spend my whole weekend just reading this book because I love it. What I've read so far, and I haven't gotten through all of it, but David, nice to have you on the show. Thank you very much for having me. Have you ever had your book described as a piece of flourless chocolate cake? <laughs> Heavens no. Yeah. But it's That's amazing. It's uh it's so accessible and it's uh I, I just want to hole up all weekend and read. Well thank you. So I, do you want to talk about anything or should we just go to break? Because <laughs> I I could start reading it right now, but uh I, I have to say I love the book of Romans and as I start to think about Romans, I, I wanna ask you was Paul, was his primary audience composed of, of Jewish or Gentile Christians? I, I believe it was both. Okay. Uh, in Rome, both. And uh, on the other hand, I, I think he's also thinking about the fact that he is going back to Jerusalem, and he's going to have to be dealing with some of these arguments when, when he gets back there with some of his uh, Jewish Christian brothers and also perhaps Jewish opponents. Yeah. So if you were going to give a little intro to the book of Romans, say from 30,000 feet, and you were going to do it in a minute, what would you say? Well, I, I would say Paul is, is, is wanting to go right into the Romans because he wants to ultimately go to Spain and have the Romans send him on to Spain. But he cannot uh, go yet. He's going back to Jerusalem with a collection uh, from Gentile churches. And that collection is basically not just alms for the poor. It is a symbol of fellowship between Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians. He asked the uh, Romans to pray that they that they will find this offering acceptable. Mm-hmm. And what makes it what makes it problematic? It's Gentile money, and if Jewish Christians accept Gentile uh, Christian um, offering then they're accepting them as their brothers and sisters in Christ. And part of the reason he writes Romans is because he can't go to Rome and then go on to Spain preaching a gospel of reconciliation, leaving behind an unreconciled church. Very interesting. What was the health of the church in Rome? You know, I, I, everything he says in the letter is very positive about the health of the church in Rome. I know a lot of people think he's writing to try and uh, correct some problems there, but he is not their pastor. He's not their apostle. Um, and uh, everything he says about them is positive. So okay. I think it's, it, it's a healthy church. So, but it's like any church, though, however, you know, every church has their problems. Yeah. So— we could say that this uh, book of Romans is kind of a fundraising letter, I, um, in a way. In, in some ways, in some I ways, think you're absolutely right. He wants them to send them him on to Spain, right. which means uh, that's a polite way of saying that I would like for your <laughs> financial support, uh, and you maybe can provide me some translators to go and guides to t- go with me. 
because he says that elsewhere, uh, elsewhere there, you know, churches that send him on to further his mission. Yeah. So, um, Dr. David Garland is my guest. His book is called Romans. It's a new, it's a commentary. And what I really love to do, uh, if you don't mind is, is just kind of jump in to some places in Romans. For sure. example, in chapter six, uh, Paul has declared that the righteous are justified by faith. I think that's Romans 5.1. Reconciled to God, that's 5.10. Living in the abundance of God's grace and assured of eternal life. That must have been a mind-blowing message. Um, I, I, You know, it's a mind-blowing message. First century, it's a mind-blowing message today. Uh, amen. So when you hear about the righteous are justified by faith. Is that a, is that a personal righteousness that each believer uh, gets from God? Uh, yes, I, I, I believe that that is correct. It, but Paul also has a very collective understanding of us as believers. Uh, it, we, if I'm righteous, then my brother and sister in Christ is also righteous, and I must treat him that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you go through and and study Romans. I, I know this must have been an enormous project for you. Um, take us, if you would, through what Christians have thought of and spoken of as the Roman road. Yeah, I, um, you know, the Romans has had an enormous impact uh, in the history of Christianity. And uh, one of the things that, you know, I, I would argue that Romans is not just simply a fundraising letter, um, Paul knows of the danger that he's facing going back to Jerusalem, and he, he, he recognizes that if it's not the will of God, he might not make it. And in fact, he does wind up going there in, in chains. And, and I believe that he is also giving them the gospel that he preaches, that they might also preach it. And that has been done throughout the centuries. I mean, it's been, had enormous impact, for example, on Augustine, Martin Luther, uh, John Wesley, and then with the Roman road, uh, uh, it, that, that was back in, in the uh, 2000s um, or before 19. And, and I think that that road is, is a guide for how you come to faith uh, in Jesus Christ. And uh, it's basically drived out all the passages in Rome. Mm-hmm. Uh, Romans, yeah. And how do you, how do you li- like that as a, a gospel presentation? as a person who's done an entire commentary on the Book of Romans? Well, I, I think it, you know, I think it's, it's a very simple way of communicating the gospel from Romans, but Romans is much deeper theologically uh, than that. Uh, and, and it's not a simple book to understand, it, it, um, but it is well worth uh, delving into and spending time in and reflecting on and reading about uh, because I, you know, I think that the incredible depth of of spiritual truth in this in in this epistle mm-hmm. is, is overwhelming. Yeah, and Dr. David Garland is my guest. David, where would you say that Christians often misunderstand uh, the Book of Romans? Um, well, I think it's not so much they they, they don't tend to read it. <laughs> um, and um, so I'm not sure exactly what they, you know, I'm not sure exactly to, how to answer that question, what they misunderstand. What my experience has been 
that even with seminary students, they don't know the Scripture. Mm. And Paul does in Romans, uh, does he not set up some uh, objections that that um, Israel can't be accountable for failing to believe? Yeah, um, yeah he, in, you know, in chapters 9, 10, and 11, um, he, he does lament that Israel, um, the majority of Israel does not believe. Um, in, in chapter 9, he, said, he, he, he says, if, if it were possible, it was like Moses in the Old Testament, I would, I would, be, I would lose my salvation if, if, it were be, if it were possible that my people might believe. Um, and and he, he argues, however, that in, in chapter 10, basically, they are responsible for not believing. Uh, and uh, even though there's a hardening that's come upon Israel, I mean, it, 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 they, he doesn't let them off the hook for not believing. Uh, and he quotes Isaiah in chapter 10, um, that all day long I've been holding out my hands to a back-sassing people. Mm, wow. Um, so, uh, on the other hand, it doesn't mean, for Paul will argue in chapter 11, that because Israel doesn't believe now, it's not God, God has not rejected them. Uh, God ultimately has a plan uh, that they would respond. And this is where I, I don't know exactly how that will happen, but ultimately in God's providence that they will respond to the gospel of faith in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, David, I would love for you to, to talk about what, what Paul brings in the book of Romans about the ways in which you the gospel opens the door uh, and frees believers from the power and dominion of sin. And then they they still question about, well, if if grace abounds, can I just go on go on sinning? Yes, um, <laughs> if if my sin made made. Um made God such a wonderful Savior, then why not I sin more so mm-hmm. that God will look even better? And clearly Paul rejects that. Some, I think that's what he understands has been a misrepresentation of his gospel uh, by others. And uh, he understands that you are saved by faith, you're saved by grace. But with that grace comes an obligation. Uh, it, it is not uh, cheap grace. But having accepted Christ as Lord, it means it requires an obligation to live as if Christ is Lord of your life. Yeah. So, David, I know. Oh, go ahead. So, so you have in in, in chapter six uh, this emphasis on you've been set free uh, from sin and now live like it. Yeah. Amen to that. I know a verse that everyone loves to talk about is you know Romans eight twenty eight, and they oftentimes don't even quote the whole verse, they stop halfway through that all things work together for good, and they seem to right. stop. Um, would you talk about a, a nice um, a, but a nice biblical understanding of that passage? Well, I, I read that in the context of uh, he is talking about the sufferings that have come upon the Christians. And so he's not just saying everything works out. Right. And there's a uh, um, silver lining in every cloud. Um, but what what I think he means here is that all things refer to suffering in Christ. It is only respect only relevant to um, Christians 
who in, in his first century context, they are indeed suffering for the faith. Uh, and, and, he say, and so all things here, I think, refer to ultimately salvation. Um, and so all these things that they're undergoing are ultimately going to work out. Uh, it doesn't mean that God has rejected them, that God is punishing them. It is going to turn out ultimately to their salvation. And this is kind of thing he picks up in chapter 5, uh, where, you know, uh, he goes through this series of, um, of uh, uh, let, let, me, let me go uh, quote it, you know, where you have, um the uh uh, ho- uh so um we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance perseverance character character hope hope does not bring us to shame it will not disappoint us and so ultimately uh the, the that suffering is going to bring our salvation or mm-hmm. ultimately mm-hmm. not that not that we suffering me not that we earn salvation through our suffering but but do not be discouraged by the suffering that you're facing. Mm-hmm. David, talk about uh, how Paul talks about life in the Spirit, how you will be delivered from the sinful flesh. Yeah, and that's that's in chapter 8, uh, where he is, you know, the whole section 5, 6, 7, and 8. And one of the things, he, he, chapter 8 really is a continuation of chapter 7, where he is arguing that the law is holy, just, and good, but the problem with the law is it doesn't uh, enable one to obey. Uh, it has no power to The law is spiritual, uh, but it's not the Holy Spirit. And so, I, you know, I was just thinking this morning, um, I hate to confess on the radio that, that I uh, ran a, I slipped through a stop sign. This morning, on the, I saw there were no cars coming, and so I just didn't come to a full stop. So that stop sign didn't make me stop, and that's the problem with the law. It, it tells you here's where here's what you must do, here's the punishment if you don't do it, but it doesn't enable you to do it. And so in chapter eight, uh, Paul talks about the power of the Spirit, which uh, fills a Christian's life, and that it is the power of the Spirit that enables one to live as God uh, would have us live. Very good. Dr. David Garland is my guest. He's written a commentary on Romans. We'll take a break. We'll come right back with David. If you have a question about a passage or anything about the book of Romans, the text line is open, 877-933-2484. And if I can't answer your question, I'll ask David. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. Welcome to the show. If you just joined, awfully glad to be talking to Dr. David Garland on the Book of Romans. David is a professor at Baylor University at the George W. Truett Theological Seminary. And you can learn more about him at baylor.edu. David E. Garland, he's got quite a resume. 
So, David, let's uh, shift gears and look at what Paul talks about as the Spirit, as a source of hope when you're in the midst of suffering. Yes, go ahead. Um, well, it you know, one of, it, it's really hard for us in, in um, our Western uh, first world context to, to appreciate the suffering that Christians underwent in the first century. Um, Paul has a list, a catalog of all of his hardships and sufferings, in, in, for example, in 2 Corinthians 11. And uh, what enables one to endure this kind of suffering and commitment to Christ um, is, is the certainty. It's not, not wishful thinking, but the certainty, hope of the resurrection and the promise of vindication through Christ. And so that becomes very central in Romans 8, um, that, um, the, and it is expressed in, in, in that famous passage, that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Uh, and, and so um, it, is, it is that hope that enables one to sustain. It's not your wit and grit that carries you through. It is the hope that God is going to deliver you and that God is also in the suffering. Mm-hmm. And even in 817, Paul supports that assertion that in sharing in Christ's suffering, we'll also be sharing in Christ's glory. Precisely. Yeah. Yes. Which is yeah. very, very encouraging. All right. Let's... And most, most of us would like to move right on to uh, glory 909 instead of going through suffering 101. Yeah, it's so true. So, uh, yeah. so true. So you had mentioned Romans I'd like to go back there, if you don't mind. Just talk about the assurance of victory through Christ's love. Yeah. uh, um, Well, you know, that that Christ's love is expressed clearly in chapter 5, that while we were still enemies, uh, Christ died for us. uh, And and then Paul goes on to say, well, uh, hardly will anyone die for the righteous, let alone for the unrighteous. Uh, and and so that that love is manifested in what Christ did for us on the cross, and that is what um, ultimately is our hope, and um, that God has predestined us to be conformed to the image of His Son, um, and that um, this is the basis of Christian faith. So. Um, Chapter eight is just one of those purple passages that filled with, with with all kinds of um, of glorious theological truths. Mm-hmm. David, when when I think of people that I know and love that are refusing the gospel, and I think that represents probably all of us that we have shared our faith with, and they have pushed us aside, and that causes grief and concern. And I think Paul shared some of that grief over his own Jewish kindred, didn't he? Yes, yes. Um, I mean, in chapter 9, he says, I have great sorrow, unceasing anguish in my heart uh, that my people simply have rejected the gospel. Um, and, and frankly, that's why he is decided, I'm going back to Jerusalem and not going on to Rome and then on to Spain. Um, I'm not going to give up on my people until God gives up on my people, and God is never going to give up on my people. Mm-hmm. And then 
we know that Paul also in chapter 9 talks that God's Word has not failed and will never fail. Yes, and that's that's one of the basic arguments um, throughout the, the 9 through 9, 10, and 11. You know, if, if it, it would seem somebody might say, well, if Israel is lost, then God's promises have somehow failed. Uh, and, and his argument is that, um, well, let's see how you define Israel. Israel doesn't get to tell God who God's people are. God tells Israel who God's people are. And um, ultimately, um, as he understands, um, not all Israel is Israel, is, is basically what he says. Um, and, um, and, and, and so um, he, he redefines Israel and basically argues that God's purposes are being fulfilled. Uh, and God has not let down on his promises. Mm-hmm. David Garland is my guest. His book is on Romans. It's a commentary. And I have a listener wanting to know, David, uh, on Romans chapter 4, verse 5, where it says, To the one who does not work but believes on him who declares the ungodly righteous, his faith will be credited to him as righteousness. Do you have a little uh, commentary on that? Yes, well, um, the, what he's going to pick up on is is the story of Abraham, uh, and, and you know, in, in Judaism, you have uh, Abraham is associated with his obedience to God by willing to offer uh, his son Isaac as a sacrifice, and uh, and also because in Genesis seventeen he was circumcised. Well, Paul argues that that God pronounced him righteous in Genesis 15, long before he was circumcised or offered Isaac. Uh, and it was simply because he believed God's promises. And from that, he argues that, um, it, it, that one is pronounced righteous by God simply on the basis of faith, not because anything we have done. Uh, we contribute nothing to our salvation. We simply respond to God's offer of salvation through faith. Mm-hmm. And David, uh, God's mercy is for all. And what about the interconnection of the salvation of the Gentiles and the salvation of Israel? Well, it, it, this is a very strange thing because um, Paul basically argues that a hardening has come on Israel. This is in chapter 11. Uh, and that God has reduced Israel to a remnant, uh, a remnant of those who believe in, Jews who believe in Christ, and and that somehow God is working through that remnant to bring the Gentiles to faith, and then He believes that the Gentiles' response to faith is going to bring Israel to faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's just kind of the reverse of what Israel expected. Um, that. Um, that Gentiles would come to Israel bearing gifts, but basically, it is it, it is another way of thinking that God is is <laughs> the mystery of the way God works. Um, God likes to if you all through the Bible, God likes to work through remnants, mm. smaller groups, and um, and the strange thing in in Romans eleven, where God does the unusual thing of pruning the olive grove, the olive tree, cuts off the dead branches, and then grafts in wild olives. That's we Gentiles. And and uh, what do you expect to get from wild olives except wild olives that are not 
good for very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and But then God was going to do something even more amazing, take the dead branches and grafted them back in, um, which just seems absolutely impossible, but this is what God does, intends to do, uh, because God in chapter 11 wants to have is consigned us all to sin in order that he might mercy have all, on all of us. And uh, that's the, and then at the end of chapter 11, uh, Paul basically says, who can understand the way God works in the world out in the mystery of God? Um, and the only thing we can do is stand amazed in the presence and um, um, basically to him be glory forever. Amen. Amen. Yeah, David, we just have a minute left. And when Paul uh, says in Romans 12, 1, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice yes. to God. How were they hearing that? Um, well, it's very interesting because it's very strange. When you offer a sacrifice, the sacrifice is usually killed. Mm-hmm. And so this is a living sacrifice. Uh, it also is a sacrifice that is not limited to some sacred uh, place at a sacred time. It's done every day. Um uh, and, and and continues on, and um, it it is it is something that you don't just do once. Uh, usually, the sacrifice is burned up. It, it, it is a continual way of living, day mm-hmm. in and day out. Yeah, uh, so good. I think they would have found that very strange. Yeah, I bet they would. <laughs> I bet they would have. David, thank you for being on the show today. It's been a delight oh, uh, meeting you. Thank you for asking me. Yeah, I thank really you. Really appreciate it. You bet, Doctor David Garland's been my guest, and his commentary is on Romans. We'll take a break, and then when we come back, Hour 2 is just around the corner. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.